In order to understand the world, one has to turn away from it on occasion. In order to serve men better, one has to hold them at a distance for a time. But where can one find the solitude necessary to vigor, the deep breath in which the mind collects itself and courage gauges its strength? Simply, certain conditions are required. So that's a quote from the myth of Sisyphus and other essays written by the French writer Albert Camus, uh, writer and philosopher. And I'm John Fanning, and this is the Create with John Fanning podcast. Welcome, wherever you are. Um, how's it going out there? Hope you are all doing well. Here they're about to give thanks in the United States uh, for... Uh, Thanksgiving, the bird day. Okay, um, so this is episode 24 of my series of episodes on the imagination based around my book, Create. Uh, so last time I spoke about balance, health, and notebooks, but today I want to talk about process specifically and in relation to that retreats and this idea of dark nights of the soul in relation to process so as i do uh I make this somewhat personal um if i refer to my journey as a writer um i used to always pull think that pulling all-nighters was the way to write um i thought that was my process and that was the process that all writers used and that was the way things got got done but as I found by practice, it didn't work. And I used to think I had to write every single day too. And now I don't. I used to think I was a a night creator until I became a morning creator. And now I'm basically an anytime creator. But I do have a process. And I repeat it every day until my first draft is done of whatever it is I'm creating. And this is the journey. And each individual has to find their own process by doing and by finding space and time to discover by making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. And I'm not alone in this. Nearly every creator I've ever talked to about how they created something inevitably talks about their process and how they create a space and time for that process to grow into a creation. And each person has different methodologies, different ways of doing what they need to do to get their work done. So uh, it's a journey, you know, and that's actually what the the word means in, in Old French. Uh, process is journey, literally translates. And if you think of it from the Latin perspective, it means to advance. So you can see that process is about about the journey, not the end. We, we advance, we proceed, and uh, we journey into creation. And it's personal because everyone is different and everyone is original. So there's no specific path to creation. You, you, you basically, you make the path by going on the journey because process is not a product, um, a finished product you walk on, like a journey along this, this, this physical path. It's more ephemeral. And why is this? Well, because capitalism values product as the most important part of creation when it's not, it's processes. Um, it's not the actual object itself. It's the process of the journey and advancing towards that. And uh, so it's hard work, but it can be fun if we're not put under too much pressure. So going down a path you've never taken before every day is fun. It, 
it never finishes. It starts again and again, and each day it's different. Uh, it's like the weather, you know. You have your own creative weather. So you never know what the character is going to say to the other character. You only know they're in a garden. And this dog barking in the background here. <laughs> not a not a dog barking in the place until I start talking into the microphone. And then all of a sudden this fella can't stay quiet. Okay, anyway, sorry. Um, so basically what I was trying to say is like, you know, you have a character and it's when you're trying to create and you don't, you don't know what they're, they're going to say. You only know that they're in a garden and they're about to have conflict about something or... It could be the same for painting, you know, while you're painting, you, you don't really know what's going to appear uh, if you're doing some abstract painting. So you you advance, as that Latin word for it says, uh, you advance a new process of manufacturing something. Um, but it could be by mistake, you know, uh, by trying to figure out a solution. And that could be literally in a business as well, you know. So this is why process is associated with so many activities. Not just just uh, the arts, you know. As I just said, manufacturing, um, so business, the law or technology, science, mathematics, you know, even thermodynamics. It's it all of it's a process, and because it describes so many different types of creative journeys of of people uh, jumping into the jumping into the imagination, and so at first. I suppose a good place to find your own working process is to study people in your own field. As I mentioned in episode 19 when I was talking about mentors, the best place to get the information about the process of a of a creator you love, how they worked, is to, you know, read their autobiography or biographies. There are many places as well online full of inspirational background and information on, the, on their creative process, how they got to where they they got to um, of the creators that you love so you, you simply have to research them and you know criticism um, biographies are helpful but uh, a, a critical review like something like in the Paris review a Paris review interview for example for a writer uh, trying to learn from another writer about their process or a well-written autobiography are, are just indispensable. Because the best books to read on any process are well on process. So m most of the time when you go to the critics, you get information on the end product, like the painting, the novel, the iPhone, the house. So, But, but does this show you how to go about painting uh, or to design or how to build those creations? And the majority of the time, the answer is no. Because um, you, what you want to know is how the creator went about creating it, not the thing itself. Uh, where, where are the clues? Uh, the little astuces, as they say in French, or how did they do it? So another, and another part or another important ingredient to, to, to process is not just analyzing those that have went before us for inspiration and to see how they practically and technically uh, did things to get to that creative inspirational um, event uh, is how how do you create space time and uh, space time is basically uh, when I was watching John Cleese once give a talk on creativity and you he talks about how you have to find a space where you can give yourself that time. Uh, to connect with what some people call flow or others will call genius and what I call inspiration. And that's something that I'll talk about again in uh, about two or three episodes. But um, what, where you go from inspiration and the imagination, you can't get there and get into that flow state unless you have, as John Cleese put it, that space time. If we take the two of those things and you know, take it out of the context of uh, the Einstein space-time, but just a creative space-time. You need the time and the space, so you need your space-time. So yes, this space can be created in your own home or in an office or at the end of a shed or 
the back uh, back of your garden down a shed like a lot of riders did. Um, but what about um, what Cleese calls interruptions or what I call distractions or phone like phone calls or ticking things off on lists or racing around all day? And I'll talk about distractions in the next episode um, along with sacredness and awareness. But but what Cleese says is if you're interrupted during your creative state, so if you have an office and you're in your like the dog barking in the background there. This is not an insulated area. It's not a an amazing studio. I have my kids walking up and down, banging around the place, distracting me in my flow state of trying to explain what I'm trying to explain here or banging doors or, you know, like in previous episodes, the phone pinging, you know. So you have to kind of remove those distractions. As you can glean, I do not have that phone here right now. <laughs> I have it downstairs because I learned from my error. But anyway... Cleese says if you're interrupted during your creative, what he calls your creative state, then you lose the flow of what you are working on. And unless you create what he calls an an oasis of space-time, where there are boundaries of space and time, then you can't tap into inspiration or what he calls creativity. And boundaries can be incredibly difficult to create. And, you know, that's okay. Um or this is okay and uh, this is not. But it, but if we stick to our own authenticity, our, um, your own integrity, that this is what I need to do, not what I want to do, then out of our own integrity and authenticity comes natural boundaries. And then you do the work. So you do the work just like you would for your day job. So how long that is is, is up to you. So it could be, 90 minutes seems to be the most universally accepted amount of time or so research shows. And this is the time when creative work is optimal before opening the blue screen in the morning when you get into a deep kind of concentrated work. So after that 90 minutes, people are supposed to have diminishing returns. And it makes sense too because we we operate on 90-minute cycles in sleep or so they report to us in studies. So, but so you get up at the same time every day, um, whatever your schedule is. You set your time and get into that space and sit on that seat, like the one I'm in right now, and do what Elizabeth Gelbert puts as uh, sweat and labor. You know, and the sweat and labor is sitting in the seat and just in that space and putting in that time, and it's a commitment. And it's like I was talking about earlier in a, a previous episode when I talked about focus. And that's another, like this process, is a door into the imagination, not a wall. It can be a wall if you allow it to be, if you don't have process. You have to find out what your process is. So um, so Stendhal uh, used to give himself two hours every day. And... You know, you can start in the morning, like I've said before, like Auden did, or you can be late at night like a Dostoevsky. Uh, William Faulkner, the uh, the American novelist, he used to say, I get inspired at nine every morning. So, you know, um, he was pretty specific about his inspiration, you know, because the idea is that inspiration comes, and I'll get into this further in a later episode, but is that it just comes out of nowhere. Well, yes, you can be inspired out of nowhere, but it's usually when you're allowed to be focused and you're not distracted. And usually the best way to do that is to be in a quiet space, in your space time. So if you, there's many examples of this. Someone like Hemingway, for example, was in the mornings. And, and you know, all these creators, they created for a, a set amount of time. And if they only wrote one word during those hours... Well, then that was the work for the day. And Tolstoy would write in the morning, uh, preferably after a short walk. And I go for a short walk before I write. And, you know, I didn't steal it from Tolstoy, but it's just my process. And that's Tolstoy's process. Um, and obviously he has lots of other things that are completely different than what I do. And um, the same as with Stendhal or Hemingway, you know. And these are all just examples of writers, but it, it translates into every field. 
And I do it because it makes me feel good. And then for some other writer, it, it just wouldn't make them feel good. They, they feel like they need to get to it straight away. So if you take uh, somebody like, let's say, Flaubert, who, you know, he would do 12 hours a day. You know, he'd be beginning the late afternoon and then just continue straight into the night. And of course, his process, again, was added to that was uh, when he was writing, he, he would complain uh, of having a sore throat. And, uh, you know, and that seems bizarre. Well, his part of his process was he would read every single sentence out and many times until he got it right. And I started reading my stuff out loud after reading about Flaubert because I was basically copying his process to see if it would have a positive effect on me uh, or my creativity and my process. And I found out Richard... Richard Ford, the American novelist, reads his stuff out to his wife too. So, you know, extrapolated or, or uh, augmented what I learned from Flaubert and did this for one novel like uh, Ford and read it to my wife. And, um, you know, so Flaubert rewrote each page of Madame Bovary at least four or five times and a lot of the pages, as many as a dozen times. So everybody has different processes and we can learn from these and adapt and adopt them if we feel that they are helping us. And you know, just drop them as well, you know. And each project could be different too. Some things could be lend themselves really well to being read out aloud, like poetry or um so or music. Like I know a lot of musicians who write their songs on the road. Uh, performing uh, so they're not sitting on a chair they're like in a bus moving um, watching things go by or processing as they perform or get ready to perform so many writers have met need to be absolutely still in a blank room to get anything done so so pro I suppose you could say process can be movement or a stasis or it can be a combination of both so certain creators need to be in movement you know, like dancers, they actually need to move. So they need to be in movement to, to, to create. So, uh, But to go back to bands, many bands who are about, it's like famously when they're about to break up, like after their first album, um, because they couldn't create any new material, they discover new songs when they go back out on the road uh, touring. So I suppose what you need to understand or what uh, what's important for somebody to understand is uh, do you create when you move or do you create in stasis or do you create with a combination of both? So notes in movement are stasis to transcribe and tie them all together by writing them down and feeling uh, my way into imagination and, and inspiration. That's how I do it. I'll take notes and then I'll get... Uh, inspired by those notes when I when I transcribe them out and that's a combination of movement like writing those notes as I said when I was talking about notebooks in a car I could be actually driving and I'll just scribble down something that comes to me and then when I come back to a computer when I'm in stasis sitting something uh, that will inspire something else and create flow and that could be completely different for other creators in uh trying to write a novel or do a podcast so so it's important it's an important uh thing to understand that uh this can change as well the older you get the younger you get maybe when you're getting older you just don't like sitting down you know Hemingway used to stand up when he wrote so and it was so he wouldn't hurt his back or well, I think that's was what it was why he did it or maybe that was just the way he did it and some people they just can't sit down for long periods of time so it's easier for you to stand up and to write on a slant. So there's many different ways to go about it, but we have to find out what our process is. And it's very difficult to find out your process if you're working your regular job because you don't. it's very hard to have that space time to actually sit with yourself and find out what your process is. So something tied into that would be the idea of trying to go on a retreat to actually find what that process is. The, the process of retreating helps with process, I found. And so, you know, do you need to retreat into the woods for three weeks or into uh, what Virginia Woolf called a literal 
and figurative room of one's own. So some people can write in a coffee shop. Others uh, need to have absolute silence and be staring at a blank white wall with no windows. Uh, somebody like Nabokov, like writing in hotels. So certain artists need to be in their studio and others actually need to be outside, as with all the Impressionists, you know, out searching for the, uh, looking for the motif, you know. So, of course, I I think it's a great idea to go away or retreat to a space for a specific amount of time to create. You know, you go out into the wilderness, like a Toro or any of the people who go on retreats to places like the one we created, La Muse. And, of course, anyone, for any of you guys who are coming to this episode as the first one, um, we created a retreat down the south of France in the mountains, literally in the woods in the mountains um, about 20 years ago. So I've seen how beneficial this can be to many different creators. So a lot of those uh, creators, they do it every year. It's like their process is to go away for a week to kickstart, to get something done. And it doesn't have to be completely isolated. You know, Thoreau went home to his mother's for his meals every day, you know, <laughs> something that's not discussed a lot, but it's kind of humorous. Um, you know, this idea of going out and being isolated in the woods. But still, he went out and found isolation so he could be inspired. So you bring your idea or your talent or your intention, and a retreat gives you what Cleese talked about again, that space-time away from the real world, and a support system to make the most of your stay um, because there's a structure within a retreat and you can get a block of work done that would have been impossible at home. And the thing with a retreat, though, is that you would be doing your work with, you know, ordinarily with a group of people who have went there uh, with the same intention, the same purpose, and they understand what you are going through. And if we're talking about a sustained amount of time to really get into your project without interruptions, then a retreat can be extraordinarily productive, you know, or e simply if it's just to find out what your process is. You know, you could spend it two weeks or three weeks or a week just, just finding out how it is you are inspired and what's your process. Do you start in the morning? Do you start in the evening? Do you go for two hours, one hour, four hours? And, you know, to discover what that is. So ultimately, you have to find the right conditions to be able to make the effort to get inspired. Because inspiration and genius are, are in all of us. You know, those moments of inspiration, those moments of genius. As I said before, you know, I don't really believe in the idea that there's, there are geniuses, but I do believe in moments of genius and inspiration that come from us. But the right conditions as the quote with uh, Camus at the outset referred to, you know, we need the right conditions and we have to know what they are. And oftentimes it's very difficult to find a kind of handbook for that. So you have to research your field and then research your process, find out how it is you can get inspired to be a service to your field and in what it is that you want to create. So, you know, we we're, we're not all truly receptive all the time because uh, it takes a huge effort when surrounded by the vicissitudes, you know, by the day-to-day. -day. It, it, so it takes courage to be receptive and to create. And places like Lemuse, um, you know, as I said before, the, the retreat we create in France, they're designed to reduce interruptions. Uh, in Lemuse, we actually have uh, quiet hours. So it's like... Um, it's a natural, tranquil setting to allow for creative ideas to seed or to grow, uh, to plant the seeds and or to to water those seeds to grow, uh, so that you can become inspired. And you know you can optimize those conditions in your own life, whether it's with meditation or a some kind of non-negotiable writing routine or creative routine. But it it does help to get a boost to say the least, by going on a retreat. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be for weeks. It could be just for a weekend somewhere to a and b somewhere. So just creating those conditions at home can, can take years. But establishing them in a retreat and then bringing them back home with you could be even better. 
And as opposed to having to fight through your routine to form a creative schedule, you can retreat and establish your process and be encouraged by the example of other creative individuals. So you have, um, and also because then you have no excuse not to do the work because they're they're doing theirs, you know, and so unless you're going to go up and start knocking on their door. And, you know, it, it's probably not going to be well received if they're trying to paint or write a book, you know. So by practicing their process, they're helping you practice your process. And you just don't feel alone, you know, because if you're doing it from your own home in suburbia, then, you know, you could feel alone. But it's it's a way of feeling, you know, that there's other creators out there doing what you're doing so that you don't feel like such a black sheep. So, you know, if I need to get a big chunk of work done, I I retreat. And it can be a week or it could be three days or it could be a long weekend, like I was saying, or as much as four weeks. And I, I've been doing them for years. Um, And, you know, I, I recently found out that um, Ishiguro uh, does retreats too. Um, But instead of a retreat, he calls it a crash. You know, he only he only writes all day and that's six days a week. Sorry, I just took a drink there. But, you know, it was, yeah, yeah. So he's six days a week. He'll just crash into it. So he takes an hour off for lunch. And I think it's, yeah, two hours for dinner. Uh, and he's no email, no phone, no guests, no visitors. And this way, his fictional world becomes more real than his real world. He, so he's he's immersed. He's completely immerses himself in his creation. So th- this is another form of retreating in his own house, you know. Um, and there's so many examples of people being creative, uh, needing to do this to immerse themselves, to become inspired, uh, to go into that other world as the real world out of this world. So. You know, and the idea of retreat, it means to withdraw or to basically to detach from the world to find your own inner world, like um, Ishiguro does when he crashes. So retreats don't, they, they don't have to be weeks long or, you know, they can be a weekend. So you can have short retreats or short withdrawals to create in notebooks even, you know, just retreat for an hour. You know, I, I used to retreat in a truck waiting for writers and artists to to go get their, you know, visit the sh- the, the Cité in Carcassonne. Um, so when they'd be off doing that, I, I would stay for a couple of hours in the car just writing notes. So that was a retreat, even if it was my space time was not in front of a desk, it was in front of a, of a, of a wheel of a car. But you accommodate and adapt and lend your space time to whatever it is you have an opportunity to take advantage of. So, um, you know, I used to retreat waiting for the kids to finish school. I'd sit outside the conservatoire and for them to finish their music and I would create then or on trains or planes. You know, I just write. And it could be notes on a character or half a chapter or backstory or some dialogue or just some idea. And this is what I... I suppose I'd call regular creation, you know, um, not retreat creation. And of course, you'll need support to get away if you do decide to do re- retreat creation, um, like a um, like a crash of like a week or even a long weekend, because others will have to give up time so you can take time, like my wonderful wife did, uh, or does has done over the years. You know, someone has to mind the kids. But it's a, this is an opportunity for those those you love to support you. And, and, and it's something you can then offer them because you are after resourcing yourself. You've went back to the source. You've resourced yourself. So then you can be able to help those around you do the same thing. So the whole idea is to resource yourself and really get into your creation. And, you know, in French, a, a source is a water source, like the one in uh, in the village where Lemuse is, where people get their fresh mountain water. But it can also mean something deeper. So because 
And then on retreat, residents actually go out every day to resource themselves by filling up a glass bottle. So when their bottle is empty, they know they have to go back out again. And each time they come back refreshed to do their work, inspired. And this is just a little thing, you know. This is just a, a simple example of how process can become part of what it is that the retreat is. So so this is what a retreat can give you. It can resource you and give you the time to decompress from the stresses of contemporary life to actually figure out what you want to create or to just create or continue something or to finish something. And then peers or other creators and people on the same wavelength and sometimes on the same path creatively as you are another benefit, you know. And um, the thing with Lemuse and places like it is that you'll be able to be doing this work with a group of, as I said before, people who have come for the same purpose and something going through the same frustrations and distractions and that you're also going through, irrespective of it's a photographer and a novelist or a novelist and a screenwriter or a screenwriter and an opera singer. There's the same frustrations. And... So retreats are a space designed to reduce those distractions and walls, but they're not the only places to go. You know, there's residencies and fellowships, and the idea is to allow yourself to see the big picture of where you are, but more importantly, um, your creative future as such. And a lot of the time they can also house professional creators. Like there's also, you know, places that host workshops to help you learn your craft better. And again, there's also like I was saying, regular creation, like taking moments and minutes to document or create while waiting for the kids or your spouse until you can find the time to get away for longer. So, so I suppose what I'm trying to say is the idea of focus, again, it comes back to that and process and this interconnection between... so need to really focus on a specific project, well then get rid of all these distractions. The movies, the books, the iPhones, the everything, and find space time. And if you need a really focused block of it, then retreat. And we're all different. Some people can retreat in their own house, in a library, or in a writer's room. And some people just can't handle that. Uh, some people need an office. So you have to have faith in your own process, but first you have to find out what your process is. And I suppose another thing that's another fundamental part of the process, what I referred to at the outset, is what I call the dark night of the soul. And what is this? What's this dark night of the soul? Well, well, from my own, from my perspective, it's it's when I write a book, I always want to give up at the end, basically. So when I've spent months and years writing a novel, I, I'm just sick of looking at the damn thing, and I just want to stop. And uh, in my head, I'm basically saying, if I have to edit this damn thing one more time, I literally want to burn it, or chuck the whole thing out the, out the window with the computer. And you just can't do it anymore. So it's this all-is-lost moment. Um, but... Basically, it's not, uh, because this is when I know that the book or the project's nearly finished, when I can barely stand to look at it anymore. Uh, it's it's like in it's like in every movie, you know, the hero finds a way out of beating the bad guy, no matter how lost they feel near the end, you know, because they always get to this this place where you know they're beaten up and they're all down and down the dumps and they're they're wallowing, and then. At the end, they somehow find the courage to to get back up and uh, just go on their process, their journey, um, uh, to get the job done in the final act of the movie. You know, and so it's the same with a creator. You have to, you know, you there's that uh, dark night of the soul, wallowing moment after the all is lost, where you have to pick up the courage to just finish in the final act, get the final act of getting this thing done. So you're nearly, you've nearly finished a book or a, I know, a business plan or, you know, if you're building a chair, you know, it's like, this is what they call the all, all is lost moment in screenplays. And so screenwriters will say, oh, it's the all is lost moment. And that turns into uh, 
the dark night of the soul or the wallowing. So all creators get to this wallowing period. You know, they think, oh, my stuff is crap or this is terrible. I, I've spent too long. I've wasted my time. I don't want to finish this. These characters are rubbish or this painting's rubbish. And that's when you have to realize that, you know, you're, you're, near, you're in the dark night of the soul and it's just part of the process. Um, it's that nearly done moment, but it feels like it's all is lost. It's an all is lost moment. So this is, and this is what I, su I suppose divides the creatives from the creators. Um, finishing, like the hero, just entering into that third act. And so it, it doesn't matter how crap you think your chair or your book or your business plan is, you have to finish it. It's, 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 it's the only way to go on. And it's the only way to create another uh, creation. Um, and then next time it'll be a better one because you'll have learned from your mistakes. Because it's only by doing, which, which inevitably means by finishing, going through to the end of the process, that, that we get better. But of course your mind, your ego, the walls, want to close all the doors. And they're always highest, these walls, near the end of a project. And you don't see any openings, no doors to a solution. But it's there. It's just part of the process. Um, it kind of reminds me of the Romans, you know, when they hit Scotland, and you know they were trying to they were trying to kill all the Scots, and they couldn't kill them, and because the Scots had all hightailed it off back to the Highlands, so they, so they built this wall to keep them out of the south. So basically, the Romans failed. You know, they gave up. They basically they gave up, and uh, they didn't finish the, their intended project, which was conquering the Scots. But they did finish uh, the process of stopping them from getting back into England by finishing a different creation, which was Hadrian's Wall. And, you know, it's beautiful and it's still standing, even if the Scots are still still there and the Romans have fled long ago. Uh, the Romans finished their creation. They actually finished it. They, they couldn't achieve their complete goal, uh, beating the Scots, but they, but they kept them out of England. So it's all about uh, relativity, you know, and uh, getting out of that wallowing all is lost moment and then uh, finishing the job that you need to do. Because, you know, you know, it's never finished, really. You know, in, Fran in France, they have a, an expression when, you, when you're talking about building a house, you know, this frustration of trying to finish a house or rehabilitate one as you know they say a house is never finished so creation is like a house it's never finished because you could go on renovating your creation forever because there's so many rooms in a creative house you know there's so many rooms in a novel so many chapters you could add and take out and the same with paintings how much paint you put on so each room has specific purposes but each one needs to be functional and it's better to have a, a functional kitchen than one without a sink or a bathroom without a shower. Everything else could be perfect, but one important part is missing. You have to walk. Um, you basically have to walk into each of your creative rooms and not allow the walls. And, you know, walk into those rooms through the doors of the imagination. And the negative voices of self-sabotage and fear and all these other things that I've mentioned in the walls before, like the myths and ageism and elitism and perfectionism. Uh, they all want you to stop finishing your house of creativity and you have to finish it even if you think it's crap because what you think is crap is just because you're exhausted you're in the wallowing you're in the dark night of the soul and when you come back to it in six months you might be going oh, you know what this isn't too bad so basically you have to allow yourself to accept that what you're creating is not perfect and it's 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 simply a room you know, then self-sabotage, the self-sabotage won't have a, a strong hold on you because nothing's perfect. And, you know, that's something I talked about before in episode 10, I think it was. Yeah, it was episode 10. Like every masterpiece has its flaws. Like the chapter that just goes on forever, the skirt, you know, if you're designing clothing, you know, it's just like it, the, the, it's unaligned, has an unaligned hem or 
you know, there's that one actor destroying a scene of what was otherwise an amazing movie. And you're just take, completely taken out of the reality of the movie because of this crap uh, seeing this poor actors after performing. So if you wrote the screenplay and it was a perfect screenplay and it's wonderful and all that, but if the direction is crap and the acting's crap, well, it's that's outside your control. So you just have to finish what you can finish. It doesn't mean that the thing is going to be the best that it can be, but you've done your best. And this is what I feel Samuel Beckett meant when I was referring earlier to when, you know, he talks about in different episodes, I talked about how he, in failure, it was like how you fail better. You know, you just fail better. And it's not a reductive negativity. It's just, it's just a true, it's not a truism. It's just an observation on reality. You do your best and you put it out there and then you let it be. It's kind of like what, what Kurt Vonnegut once said about jumping off a cliff. You know, you, you, you jump off the cliff and you kind of learn how to fly as you're going down, you know. It's like, um, so you just do your best and you just finish. Because that's part of the process of and part of the dark night of the soul. So, and of course people like Nabokov can't help themselves, you know. They'll come back and they rewrite novels that have been out for years or decades but, but, you know, <laughs> that's not the point, though. The point's to know that no matter how great someone is at creating in a field, we all think what we do could be better. But at some stage, you have to stop. And a lot of the time, if you don't, if you keep revising and changing your creation or adding to it, it can turn into a real failure, just something that's overworked and, and you know, it's just lost what it was supposed to be, the simplicity of what it's supposed to be. So I suppose the part of that is just to know that it's okay to let go of a creation. And, and that's part of the process of create, creation is to work on a, you know, go work on a different project for a while or move on to the next one. And, you know, we learn from each thing that we create and each thing we finish allows us to get better at what we create. And if we, it's a way of empowering ourselves uh, you get better by just doing and redoing. And this way you'll continue to enjoy what you're creating. So you have to get past the dark night of the soul and past all these walls and into the door, through the door into the imagination and finish, finish and move on to, into your next creation. Um, and then, of course, as well, there's another something else as part of that. Uh, you know, before you start sending something out into the world, wait. You know, rest. You're not on a deadline. You know, forget the capitalistic deadline-orientated culture of, you know, instant gratification. Creation is as, as natural. It's as, as, it's, as, um, it's as organic and essential as breeding. You know, every day, every, every hour, it's a, it's a, a lifetime. You know, we don't have to finish the creative process. Process keeps processing. It keeps changing. So we're not going to die if we don't get over this literal line, some imagined deadline. You know, so perhaps think of what you have created as a due date. The You know, the baby isn't always cooked on the due date, you know. Nothing's ever perfect the second it comes out of you. It gets revised and edited and redone and changed. This is, And this is part of the process. It, it's born, but it needs time to open its eyes uh, so you can see what it is with your eyes, with your clear eyes. And things are blurry at the end or an, and at the beginning, you know. And, you know, writers do this all the time. They leave a novel or they leave an essay or a poem for a period of time, say two or three months or weeks, and then they come back to it and they leave what, you know, I think I've referred to um, Anne Lamott saying before, the shitty first draft, and they leave it alone and go to work on something else. And this goes on, you know, this isn't just writers, this is artists and business people and musicians too. Now, there'll be parts of what you have created that are wonderful that barely need any reworking, but there'll be a lot of stuff that needs to be revisited, which you can't have that clarity if you don't let the let the dust settle. So it's was part of the process is to rest yourself. Um, but more importantly, let the work rest. So to, to give it time, give it its space time. 
and then and then return to it because by resting the work um a creator's not in the creation anymore but allowing the process to continue of its own volition and creators get out of their work so that they can make it better when they return to it and if you give a creation to people before it's really ready you do a disservice to the work but also to the person you've given it to because you'd be forcing them to judge something that's underdeveloped um you know and and then you'll have to tell they'll have to tell you it, it is too when they don't want to to hurt your feelings and it makes work for them and so rest with your work and wait that's part of process so i suppose the question is that people have did you have to ask yourself as a creator is what is what's your process what rhythm like from all that i've said before there about all these examples of all these creators and uh, like they all different rhythms like what what rhythm is best for you night daytime like one hour two hours 12 hours like your man flow bear or and then just when is your most productive time when do you come up with new ideas because knowing your time makes you consistent it allows you and helps you to show up on time to work your own creative work every day so you have to ask yourself the question how do i process ideas words images and reality best and when is my best time to process like words in the evening or words in the morning or ideas in the morning and evening well well then that's your process for me deep creation or inspiration happens in the mornings most of the time and then the afternoons are, are good for communal creation like this kind of left brain creation you know so actually t.s Eliot wrote poems and plays partly on a on a typewriter and partly with a with a pencil and paper and he always kept to a three-hour writing limit and in the beginning he wanted to go on for much longer kind of like your man Flaubert but <laughs> but then when he looked at his stuff the next day what he'd done you know after he waited you know he'd wait for a day to read over it he what he'd done after three hours was never any good it just wasn't good enough and he thought it'd be better to stop and think about something completely different through then and then return to the work fresh the next day so there there's process um and it's a personal process but it's something we can learn from as well we can adapt and adopt that you know da vinci would spend an hour in front of the last supper and what would he do he'd add one pain stroke and then he'd leave so it's not a straight line you know process is not a straight line you don't sit down and write a whole novel day by day you know, from start to finish, unless you've, you know, written a whole load of them already and you really know your process and you know your craft. Like, let's say somebody like John Steinbeck, if we were to believe him and he had a diary when he was writing, when he was writing East of Eden and he said he wrote it straight, you know, from chapter to chapter, page to page. And that's somebody who's on top of his game. That's on somebody who knows his craft. He's done his 10,000 hours and some. So most people aren't that lucky or that trained. And most of the time in the beginning anyway, it's, it's you know, process is disorganized and messy and you have to know about parts of the process, like, like the dark nights of the soul and the waiting and resting. And every creator has to go through these processes uh, before they can finish any creation. Or even start a creation. So process is, is super important. Um, and retreating into your process to find out what it is. And get through these dark nights of the soul. And waiting and resting are important. So that's basically what I wanted to say. Um, so again, thanks for listening. And uh, started with uh, old Camus there to french writer and philosopher but as always you know i'm going to end again with a with an irish proverb um it's a funny irish proverb basically it means uh, however long the day the evening will come so however long the day the evening will come the father-in-law hogan and tronona so the father-in-law hogan and tronona 
And uh, so, as I always say, this this podcast is supported by you, uh, the listener, uh, and that's on my Patreon page. So you can go to if you go to patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash John J-O-H-N Fanning F-A-N-N-I-N-G, and it'd be great if you could afford to, you know. Uh, the price of a cup of tea, the cliched price of a cup of tea or a pint of Guinness or something like that uh, to support me doing this and researching this and getting it out here, getting it out there for you guys. And if you can't, that's fine. Someone else will be able to um, uh, support it. And uh, But if you can't yet, just try and subscribe on iTunes or leave a review on iTunes or wherever it is that you're listening to it. And just, if you get something out of this episode or any of these episodes, just tell somebody. Forward it on to them. Share it with them, you know. Text them it or, you know, email them the link. Um, so that's basically it. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you want to get the uh, social rubbish, um, and I don't really get into that much, but I do represent myself on it, uh, you can go to johnfanning.me and you'll see all my social links at the bottom there. Uh, for Instagram and Twitter and then you have all the transcripts under the tab podcast and so it's been cool sharing stuff today and next time I'll be talking about distractions and awareness and until then uh, try to be benevolent out there when you can and thanks for listening Schlanliv, August Gunnarian Bauerliv.